again, we're continuing uh, working our way through these seven sayings that are known as the O Antiphons. Uh, they, they come from probably around the 6th century and are all rooted in these ancient prophecies from the book of Isaiah. Uh, and they are sometimes referred to as the bells of Christmas. Well, I used an illustration a couple weeks ago about bells in New England, so I thought it'd be only fair to use an illustration about bell, bells in California this, today. So um, if you are familiar with uh, the missions of California, then you know about uh, the Camino Real, and you know that the symbol of the Camino Real is a shepherd's staff with a bell on top of it. Uh, and that bell really is kind of, you can see it there. That, I think that's the San Diego mission. You can see there on the left, uh, the, the staff with the bell on it. And the bells really are kind of the icon- iconic architectural feature of many of the missions. Well, the, 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 the placement of the, of the different bells uh, happened in the early 1900s, and it was designed to basically help people know this is the path you're supposed to take if you're going to journey uh, all the way up the Camino Real from San Diego all the way up to, I think, Sonoma is the north, northernmost point of the Camino Real, uh, which means, by the way, the royal path. That's the meaning of the word in Spanish. So the, the bells serve as a passageway to help pilgrims, if you will, to know this is the way that you go. This is the path that you are to take uh, in order to go down the Camino Real. In a very similar way, these passages from the book of Isaiah are giving to us the pathway of what it means to know who Jesus is, what it means to follow Jesus. And today, uh, we come again to another passage that reminds us that Jesus, one of the dominant themes of who Jesus would be is that Jesus is a king. He's a a monarch. He's a ruler. Uh, Our antiphon that we're looking at today is, or excuse me, the verse from O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, is, O come thou rod of Jesse free, Thine own from Satan's tyranny, from depths of hell your people save, and give them victory o'er the grave. So kids, if you look at the coloring page that we have for you today, what you see is a stump, uh, and on the stump is a throne, and next to the throne is this, is this little shoot or a rod or a little sapling cup growing out of the stump. Uh, and, and I'm going to ask you a little bit later in the sermon, leave the spaces around the circle empty. I'm going to ask you to draw something for me a little bit later uh, on in the sermon. All right, so um, what we're going to do today is we're going to see that from what looked like was utter destruction, God raises up a faithful and just king who brings his kingdom. That's, that's what we're going to look at today uh, and what that means for us. So we're going to see, first of all, the origin of his rule. Then we're going to see the order of his reign. And then finally, the, or, the, uh, the outcome of his reign are the three things that we're going to look at today. Uh, so when we start off at Isaiah 11, chapter one, we have this, this uh, prophecy, a shoot will come from the stump of Jesse from his roots, a branch will bear fruit. Now a stump is a dead tree, right? It's, it's where a dead tree used to be, right? All that you have left is the stump. And what you see here is this image of life being brought out of something that for all intent and purposes, is dead. Now, why is it dead? What happens that all of a sudden we have a stump? 
To, the answer to that is actually found in Isaiah chapter 6, where in Isaiah 6, we read that God, as an act of judgment on the nation, is going to cut all of the trees down. Now, this is figurative language. This is prophetic language. It's not that God is actually getting an axe and he's cutting trees down. It's a symbol of the kind of judgment that he's going to bring. It will be as if all of the trees are gone. And though the tenth, uh, uh, he says in Isaiah 6.13, and though a tenth remains in the land, it will again be laid waste. But as the terebinth and the oak leaf stumps when they are cut down, so the holy seed will be a stump in the land. So the house of David uh, is going to be cut down. Uh, The house of David is going to be judged because of their sins and the way that they led the nation in sin. Uh, And what's interesting is that in in this passage anyway, Uh, what Isaiah says is not a root from David, but he says a root from Jesse. So Jesse is David's father, okay? Uh, And so what, 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 you know, scholars think is that probably the emphasis here is actually to go back to the very humble origins of who David was, that, that that we're actually meant to see just how unexpected this monarch will be just like it was absolutely unexpected that a king would be born from a really inconsequential family in the tribe of Judah. Uh, So also this new king is going to come and he's going to come from the humblest of origins uh, where you would least expect it. But it would absolutely be uh, in line with the promise that God had made to David, right? In 2 Samuel 7, Uh, David says, I want to build a house for the Lord. I want to build the Lord a temple. And the Lord comes back to David and says, thanks, but no thanks. I don't need you to build me a house. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to establish your house. I'm going to set you up so that from you, one of my children, one of my sons will reign over the people of Israel forever. And uh, we as Christians believe that that, that that child, that, that ruler is Jesus. Uh, and so really the, the humble origins of this is actually a really important theme in the book of Isaiah. So you have Isaiah 53, again, using that imagery of a shoot, just this, this little, this little uh, growth of life out of something dead. Isaiah 53, he grew up like him, like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. So think about the birth of Jesus. Uh, who, what, what do we know about the birth of Jesus? When Jesus was born, what is, where does Mary lay Jesus when he's born? In a manger, right? Now, a manger is a really pretty word, right? Manger's like, they're just like, oh, they just sound so romantic, right? A manger is where the cows ate, okay? So baby Jesus, when he was a baby, Jesus was laid in the place where cow slobber was found, um, when his parents, when his parents went to offer sacrifice for Jesus, it was the custom of the people of Israel. They had to offer a sacrifice for the firstborn child because the firstborn child belonged to the Lord. So they have to offer a sacrifice. What did his parents offer as a fa- sacrifice? Does anybody remember? A dove, right? Now, why does he offer a dove? Because they're poor, right? You had, you had different offerings that you could make depending on your socioeconomic status. <clears throat> and if you were poor, you could offer a dove. And that's what we're told Joseph and Mary offered. So really Jesus comes from the humblest of origins, 
from the place where we would least expect it, from, and, and this is very much in line with what Isaiah told us was going to happen, that, that um, from a place where it seemed nothing could happen, God's promise of salvation was going to come. Remember that, that it has been, at the time that Jesus is born, it's been over 500 years since there has been a king reigning over the nation of Israel. The stump was dead, except it wasn't dead, right? And so out of that, God brings a king. Now, what kind of king is he going to be? This is our second point. What kind of king is he going to be? If you look at Isaiah verses three to five, when we actually looked at this a little while ago, I think three weeks ago, when we looked at wisdom, uh, what you see is a description of the, of the way in which he's going to reign, the order of his rule, the order of his reign. Uh, let me read it again. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears, but with righteousness, he will judge the needy. With justice, he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With breath of his lips, he will slay the wicked. The, and righteousness will be, a, be his belt and faithfulness will be a sash around his waist. All right, so uh, we, we all know this, right? If you are in a position of power, if you're you know, in politics or you're a king or something like that, right? Uh, it, is, it is very difficult, it can be very difficult to uh, keep all of the interests that you have to keep in mind uh, squarely in front of you. It can be very easy, very tempting uh, to look out for yourself or to look out for those who are helping keep you in power. Uh, and this was absolutely true of the kings of Israel. The kings of Israel, the kings of Judah uh, would, would often do things that helped uh, maintain their power uh, and did not care for the poor. They did not care for the needy. They did not value the things that the Lord valued. And as a result, this judgment came. And so here we have a king who is not going to be influenced by other things. Here we have a king who we're told several things about him, but two words really stand out. It says, righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness, the sash around his waist. Now those two words, faithfulness and righteousness, those two words are words that are often used to describe the Lord. The Lord is faithful. The Lord is righteous. And so this king... It comes from where we would least expect it, when we least expect it, how we least expect it, is going to rule in a way that other people haven't ruled. His, his reign is going to be distinct. It's going to be unique. Uh, he is going to, uh, in righteousness, he, we, uh, we can trust that his judgments will be right. Because of his faithfulness, we can trust that his character will not change. So think of the life of Jesus. Right? What, think of the stories that were told about who Jesus is and how Jesus cared for those whose society would pass over. There's a story in Luke chapter 8. In Luke chapter 8, Jesus comes into a town and a man by the name of Jairus runs up to Jesus and says, Jesus, 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 my daughter is about to die. Will you please come and take care of my daughter? Will you please come and heal my daughter? And Jesus says, Yes. Uh, so Jesus and his disciples and Jairus begin to make their way through the town. Uh, and 
excuse me. Uh, and, and so what ends up happening is, as, as we're told would often happen, a crowd begins to form around Jesus. And as he's walking, all of a sudden he stops in the middle of the procession. Remember, a girl is on her deathbed and he stops. He says, who touched me? And the disciples, you can kind of feel the exasperation of the disciples. Like, Jesus, there's a huge crowd of people here. Lots of people are touching you. He's like, no, 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 somebody touched me, right? And he stops and finally this woman comes out, uh, comes out and says, I'm the one who touched you. Now, you have a little girl on a deathbed and Jesus stops. Why? Because a woman who had had a chronic disease, a chronic illness, uh, had, had uh, touched him and had been healed. Uh, now, what we're told about is that she, she'd had this chronic disease for many, many years. I think it was 12 years, if I remember correctly. And that she had spent all of her money trying to get better. So here's a woman who is poor in spirit. Here's a woman who is poor in relationship, right? Because of the nature of the, of the condition that she had, uh, she would have been ostracized from society. Uh, because of the, uh, she was poor in, uh, in being able to engage in, in worship because of the nature of the condition that she had, uh, she would have been limited in her ability to engage in the worship the way that God had to, uh, set up worship in the Old Testament. Uh, because of her condition, she was poor in spirit, poor financially, poor relationally. This is a woman who was poor by almost every stretch of the imagination. And Jesus, as a king, stops. Why? She'd already been healed. Did, did he need to stop in order to heal her? No. But he stopped because her shame needed to be taken away. Right? He stopped because she needed to be brought back into the community. And that is, in effect, what he does. Right? That's the kind of king who is, who is just and who is faithful and who is tender and who is compassionate. That's the kind of king that Jesus is. That's the kind of monarch that he is. Remember what we sang a little bit, a bit ago? O come, thou rod of Jesse, free thine own from Satan's tyranny. That woman was living under the tyranny of Satan because what did Satan do? Right? Satan, through his deception, brought disease and death into the world, right? We, we sin, Adam and Eve sinned, but it was through the deception of Satan. And through that came in the world, death, disease, despair, poverty, all kinds of evil. And so every Christmas when we sing, O come thou rod of Jesse free, your own from Satan's tyranny, what we're singing is we're waiting for the day when a king will come who will make everything right. We're waiting for a day when a king will come and he'll heal women and restore them back into the community. I know that some of you, right? You need that kind of king in your life right now because of your past, because of your trauma, because of sins in your life, because of fractured relationships, because of any number of different things, the disappointments of life, that we need a king, we need a king who cares about us, who will be faithful and just and will rule over us in a way that is kind and compassionate. That's the kind of king that Jesus is. So where does he come from? He comes from where we would least expect it. 
how we would least expect it, when we would least expect it. The stump was dead, and yet a shoot comes up. How does that, how does he reign? He reigns in a way that is unlike anybody before him. He is, he is faithful, he is righteous, he is kind, he is merciful, he is, he is loving. And so what do you think happens when somebody rules in that way? What is the outcome of his rule? The outcome of his rule uh, is found in verses six to nine. There is a, a painter, there was a, an American painter by the name of Edward Hicks, who uh, uh, painted uh, the scene that we see here in Isaiah eleven six. This is one of 62 paintings that he made depicting what is known as the peaceable kingdom. Uh, he was an American artist. He was a Quaker. Uh, and he had this thing for, for bringing in images of uh, William Penn and Native Americans. That's what you see off in the corner. Uh, and really what this is, is it's a picture depicting for us Isaiah 11. So kids, uh, here you've got what? A lion, an ox, a lamb, a leopard, goat, a bear. There is a snake in there somewhere, but I don't think you're going to find it. Um, I would love for you on the outside of that O you know, antiphon picture, draw me some bears and some lions and uh, other fun creatures. Draw me the animals that you think would never, should never be together. Draw them together because that's the kind of king that Jesus is. He brings together things that you and I would say should never come together, right? What happens right now? What would happen if at the San Diego Zoo, the zookeepers decided we, we are going to put a lamb in with the lions? It would be a sad day for the lambs, right? It would not be a Merry Christmas. All right, this is what we read. The wolf will live with the lamb, the leopard will lie down with the goat, the calf and the lion and the yearling together, and a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear, their young will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox, the infant will play near the cobra's den, the young child will put his hand in the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be filled with the, Lord, with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Okay. Uh, when is another time in scripture where we are told that creatures who should not, in our experience, don't, don't hang out with each other, are hanging out with each other? Noah's Ark, okay? What is another time in scripture? There are three of them that I can remember. This scene here, Noah's Ark, and there's one before Noah's Ark. The very beginning of the Bible. The Garden of Eden, right? The Garden of Eden, right? Um, so what I, want you to, what I want you to see, right, is that in, in part of what's happening here is that in this, in this rain, this, this mountain, the word mountain shows up for here again. What did we see last week? What's the significance of the word mountain in Isaiah's prophecies? What mountain are we talking about? Zion, right? And, and Mount Zion is another name for... Jerusalem. And what is the principal piece of, what's the principal uh, building? When we think of, of Jerusalem, what's the building we always think about? Temple. Good, man, you guys are doing great this morning. All right. Um, so, so bring all of that stuff to mind right now, okay? This is the amazing thing about Isaiah. Isaiah is pulling from all of these different things. Like we could spend a really long time unpacking everything that's happening in this passage. So, on this mountain, right? God's mountain. 
where the temple is found, you have a king who is reigning. And because it is the, it, because all of these animals are in his presence, because it says that all of the people are streaming towards him. We saw the same thing last week, right? What is happening is that God is bringing about all of the promises. He's not taking us back to Eden. He's taking us forward to the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is what Eden was a picture of. Eden was supposed to take us into the kingdom of God, but because of sin, that didn't happen. And so here comes this king and he's going to take us back to a a paradise. He's going to take us back to a place where God's people are going to live with him and they're going to be in his presence. What did we see? They're going to be priests. That's what he's going to do, but it's not in the past. It's in the future. It's in the new heavens and the new earth. Um, So, All right. In the book of Revelation, um, in the book of Revelation, what we see is John, I think John wrote the book of Revelation, uh, John begins to pick up on some of these ideas. And specifically, we see them in Revelation chapter 5, that this is who Jesus is. He is this king. So in Revelation 5, 5, we read, Uh, One of the elders said to me, do not weep. See the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David. See that? So it's not Jesse now, it's David now, but it's the same image. The root of David has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. We'll talk about scrolls and seven seals on another day. Um, And then the next verse says this. I saw the lamb on the throne, looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. So who is it we're talking about here? We're talking about Jesus, right? Jesus is the root of David, picking up on what Isaiah said. He's the root of David. He's ruling. He's the monarch. Then what happens? Uh, In uh, verses 9 to 10, we see that all of the nations come. um, Asher, will you show the the slide that had the map? All right, so what you see in the prophecy of Isaiah is that Isaiah begins to like list all of these different places. Um, If you throw them up on a map, what you realize is that he's giving you the four points of the compass, right? He's telling you Hamath to the north. He's telling you Babylon to the east. He's telling you Egypt to the south. He's telling you the islands of the Mediterranean to the west. What he's saying is that people from all over the world are going to come to this mountain in order to worship this king. What does Revelation tell us? Revelation says, and there was a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language, people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests. Why priests? Because where are we? We're in a temple. You made them to be kingdom and priests to serve God and they will reign on the earth. And then just to make sure that you see all of the connections, right? What, what kinds, what, uh, what animals are hanging out with each other? Bears and cows and lions and lambs. And this is what we're told in verse 13 of Revelation 5. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. 
Isn't that amazing? Like, this is cool. This is, this is mind-blowing that this is who Jesus is. And how does this happen? How is it that Jesus creates a place where a child can play with a cobra? There's a, there's a, there's a little link there for you, right? What was said in Genesis 3? That one day, the serpent who had deceived Adam and Eve, there would be a child and that child would have his heel, the serpent would strike the heel of that child while the child simultaneously crushed the head of the snake. Who is that? It's Jesus. I don't think it's a coincidence that here, twice in this prophecy, we're told children are hanging out with snakes. Because what we're being told, I think, is that it's because of the one who would crush the head of the snake, crush Satan. O come, thou rod of Jesse, free thine own from Satan's tyranny. How does Jesus free you from the tyranny of Satan? By destroying him, by condemning him to hell for all of eternity, by binding him up, you realize that Jesus can only do that by dying on the cross. That's the kind of power your king has. Amen. And so guess what? You and I, through faith in Christ, we're citizens of that kingdom now. That is our true home. That is our true allegiance. That is where we belong. Living in the United States, it's great. This is not our true home. Our true home is in the new heavens and the new earth. We are citizens of that kingdom. That is why Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5 that you and I are ambassadors. What is the role of an ambassador? It's not a trick question. What is the role of an ambassador? They represent, right? They represent who? The monarch the king that is sending them. They represent the government and the values of the government that has sent them. Church, uh, this week when you go to work, this week when you travel, some of you are going to be traveling over the, over the week, uh, this week um, when you are uh, hanging out with friends, this week when you're with your neighbors, this week when you're with your family, this week when you are watching the news, this week when you're consuming media, this week when you do whatever it is that you do, you are a citizen of this kingdom. And so what Jesus is saying is he's, he's inviting us to live as citizens of the kingdom. Because of what he has done, Satan's powers vanquished over us. Satan has no power over you. That's why it says in scripture, greater is the one who's in you than the one who is in the world. This is amazing stuff. This is what Jesus came to do. This is what it means. This is what we sing. When we sing, O come, O come, Emmanuel, excuse me, O come, thou rod of Jesse free. We're talking about a king who would come 
from where we would least expect it, how we would least expect it, when we would least expect it, that he would rule in the way that nobody before him had been able to rule, and he is still ruling like that, and that because he does that, that he brings a kingdom that makes everything new, a kingdom where all hostilities are over, and we're not there yet, right? Like, we're going to go out a minute, and we're going to face the reality of life, and we're going to be reminded we're not there yet. But, He's still reigning. He's still ruling. And we're citizens of that kingdom. Even as we live here today as citizens of San Diego, California, the United States. Let's pray. Heavenly Father.